Welcome to Small Town Big Stories, where we're telling tales, swapping yarns, and sharing stories of the folks who make up this great part of Texas. Here is your host, Catherine Eve. Go ahead. Welcome to Small Town Big Stories, a program where we dive deep into the lives and experiences of our incredible residents. Get ready to be inspired entertained and connected as we uncover the hidden gems that make this town shine. I am your host, Catherine Eves, and together, let's celebrate the stories that bring us closer. Welcome, Jeff and Stephanie Haynes, to Small Town's Big Stories. We are honored to have you on the show today, guys. We're honored to be here. Thank you. Thank you you for the opportunity. Thank you. So where are you guys from, Stephanie? Well, I was born and I grew up in New Orleans, Louisiana. So how in the world did I get to Alpine, Texas, and how did I meet my my husband, Jeff? Well, I attended Catholic school at a beautiful school that was founded by nuns, French nuns, and in my senior year, while watching the streetcars go down the street, I was dreaming about who would I marry. I was daydreaming, and I was loved horses. I rode in the park all the time, And so I was sure I was going to marry someone from the West. So I thought about all the things, and I was horse crazy. So I knew that he had a ranch. I knew that he loved horses and and was from the West. And I also knew that he was tall and blonde, and this sounds impossible, but I also knew that his name was Jeff. So when I met him on a Texas-based tour— going to Europe. And so we spent the summer, it was all these Texans singing all these Texas songs and bragging and all of that about everything. By the end of the summer, I was singing the same Texas songs and I was madly in love. The only thing I got wrong about Jeff was loving horses. He hates horses. Oh, and they were so uncomfortable, and it was he. He rode a lot with his father during the drought of the fifties, and so it was really, really hard work. And but everything else, I, I got right. Out right. <laughs> oh, okay. So you were dreaming about what your future husband would be before you even met. Yes, Jeff. I was a senior in high school, and you knew his name was going to be Jeff. I did. It was like premonitions. Yes, the only thing wrong was the horses. Everything else was right. <laughs> made That's it easy inc- for me. <laughs> <laughs> That's pretty incredible. It is. <laughs> okay, and Jeff, where well, are you from? I'm from Alpine. I was born here in the Lockhart Clinic, which was there before the hospital was built. It's on, appropriately, it's on Lockhart Street. Grew up here. Father was also born here. He was born in the house that west of the jail. You know, there's an old stucco house there that was the house that my great-grandfather built when he started the ranch. We were both born here in Alpine, my father and I, and I went to high school here in grade school all the way K through 12. After graduating from high school, I went to what is now called the University of North Texas and then finished up at Loyola in New Orleans. Had to go down there to save money on long-distance bills. So (laughs) my father said, wouldn't it be cheaper if you just Went to school in New Orleans. Okay, <laughs> right. We were talking on the phone back when you had to pay for long distance. Right, right. And so uh, got a degree from Loyola in accounting. During all of my college years and high school, I worked at the phone company in the summers and holidays. And we, I worked there from 1963 till, well, 
just a few years ago, actually, except for my time in the Navy. Worked summers and holidays. I went into the Navy in uh, 1971. I joined, got out in 76, worked for three years in New Orleans for Stephanie's father, who had a real estate company. And then we moved in 1980, we moved back here, and I took over the telephone company. So that's a, a brief history of the of my life. Okay, <laughs> okay. okay. All right, so you two met, it, it was that summer when all the Texas boys were... Yeah, 1967. Oh, okay. Yes. Right. Um, Stephanie, tell us a little bit about your childhood. I'm glad to do that. It was a very lively, <laughs> it's a colorful town, charming town. We had... Of course, a lot of Mardi Gras festivals, and every other week was a Saints Festival. We had parades. It was just a a wonderful, really delightful place to to grow up. Now, your sister lived in Alpine, and lots of people remember her. Can you tell us a little bit about her, where she is? she, She moved out here because we were here and married. She was very, very active in many community events. Just uh, she she ran the Apache Trading Post. It was just a wonderful shop. She brought in tourists from everywhere, and she was really an ambassador for for Alpine in in so many ways. Involved with the chamber and so many different activities. And then she moved to Lake Conroe, Texas, where her husband's family lived, and he passed away. So that's where she is now. And she's very active and very busy in Lake Conroe. And she, again, once again, is very involved in many community events. So thanks for asking about her. She'll appreciate it. Tell us about your dad, Neville. Well, my father was, like I said, he was born here in Alpine in 1922 and grew up partially here and partially in the Rio Grande Valley. He joined the uh, the Navy when World War II broke out, fought in the Pacific. When he got out of the Navy, he came back, he writing letter-writing relationship with my mother, who was also from the Rio Grande Valley. And when he came back to uh, Alpine, I mean, to the after the war, they ended up getting married in Mission, and then they moved, immediately moved right here to Alpine, to, and they moved into the headquarters at, at the Neville Ranch. He started running the ranch. During the 50s, we had a terrible drought. It was just like the one we just have gone through where lots of the big ranches were having a hard time making a living. And so he decided that he wanted to try to find something else besides ranching to do. And so in 1960, he started the Big Ben Telephone Company. The early years, and I started working with him when I was a teenager, the early years were interesting because we didn't have any telephone lines. We had radios that we could put at a rancher's headquarters and they would call us, and we'd have to have a, a person sitting there 24 hours a day, seven days a week, to answer the, the radio call, and they wanted to call somebody else. So we would dial up the number they wanted to call, and we'd put the phone in a, a coupling thing, and they would be able to talk with whoever we were calling. So we, it was a very primitive system, but uh, I did that for them. And over the years, we started growing and we've started acquiring exchanges sanderson presidio langtree comstock other ones that was how we grew we were buying those were exchanges that other larger phone companies like general telephone and at&t or back then it was southwestern bell had that they didn't want to they were too small to mess with 
but they were big for us. <laughs> so, right. yeah. yeah. So that's how we grew. Then in 1980, I came back. Uh, my father turned the company over to me, and he basically retired. In 1984, he got cancer and died. So, you know, he was he died way too young. He was 61, I oh. think. Yeah. yeah. That is very young. Yeah. He was well, yeah, he he was he had a very great career with the telephone associations, both national and state. He was president of the Texas Telephone Association, and he served on the board of the uh, the National Telephone Association. Of he was so well respected and honored that after his passing, the highest award they still give at the Texas Telephone Association is the Neville Haynes Award. Oh, they wow. do it annually at their annual convention. And Rusty Moore, who is now running the phone company, is a recipient, and I was. But I think they just did that out of sympathy. But no, no, I doubt. <laughs> I also no. served as president of the Telephone Association and is in following in his footsteps. Okay. And do you have brothers or sisters? I have one brother. He lives in San Antonio. And that's the whole family, basically. Okay. Yeah. All right, we're going to take a short break, and we'll be right back. The fastest land speed record, 763 miles per hour. The fastest mile ever run by a human, 3 minutes, 43.13 seconds. The fastest baseball pitch, 105.8 miles per hour. The fastest internet in the Big Bend area, BBT, 1 gig by 1 gig. When speed and dependability matter, why settle for less? Go online, bigbend.com. BBT, a local company you can depend on. All right, well, welcome back. Stephanie, you were involved in many civic organizations and groups. Some were local, some weren't. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yes. At the telephone company, I was in charge of customer and community relations, and that was right up my alley because a lot of volunteerism and reaching out to the community, of volunteerism and giving back to the community were really important to me. And the first activity that was really special, kind of really heartwarming too, I was involved in Alpine Centennial Celebration. The committee worked to promote Alpine to Alpine area for three years, and we sent a stagecoach-looking vehicle around the state. The weekend of the Centennial Celebration was April of 1982, wow. and huge tents were set up all over town. I mean, the biggest tent you've ever seen. And the volunteers worked for weeks. That afternoon, before it kicked off, we looked up and we saw dark clouds over the area of Fort Davis. Oh. I said, what, what is that? What are we looking at? Uh-oh. And they said, that's a blue norther. And I said, what is a blue norther? And they told me, well, the next morning, Alpine was blanketed in deep, deep snow, and all the tents, the this, the tops came down and they all collapsed and all the booths and everything we had congressman henry bonilla coming in we had all these dignitaries coming into town and it it was a a disaster i mean truly a disaster the event lost over ninety thousand dollars and for several years the townspeople had to have fundraiser after fundraiser after fundraiser for an event that never happened. Oh, and goodness. I was so impressed with the dedication of the people in Alpine to raise the money for this event. And then I was so impressed with how very active people were in so many community activities. Residents of Alpine are incredible. That's one yes. of the reasons I came out here was because of the people. They, they were so active. And uh, I can give you a few highlights. Yes, uh, tell 
the Alpine Main Street program, Historic Alpine, uh, was very involved with, and then Big Ben Economic Development Projects, and I was working with Dr. Kip Sullivan and David Busey with the Chamber of Commerce. Tom Greenwood, he was an architect of the Wall of Pioneers and many other business and community leaders. I was especially privileged to work with Jeanette Bowers. I was very involved in the pilot club of Alpine. She was very involved. She and I got together and we started a program called Leadership Big Bend. And that was developing leaders, bringing in leaders from all over our area to basically improve and hone and encourage leadership in the Big Bend area. And a great claim to fame for us was our first class president was Greg Hennington, who is now our county judge. (laughs) Yes, and he's doing a fabulous job. He's doing a great job. So that's a great claim to fame. And there were many, many leaders that came out of that program and people that followed us helped run the, you know, that Big Ben program, the leadership program. So that was exciting. I was involved in the Chamber of Commerce. I was president of the Chamber. I, I really enjoyed that because I really got to work with so many people. We did have the the yearly banquets, mm. which were terrific and so, you know, well attended. And I think one of the best aspects of the banquet was having awards given, like for Citizen of the Year or Business Leader of the Year. Paul Forshammer was a very active downtown merchant. So the award was named after him, oh, the okay. Paul Forshammer Business Leader. So that was very exciting. And we had other uh, recognitions that we, we gave at the chamber. And I do miss the chamber, but the the visitor center, I'm, I'm very impressed with. Very nice. impressed mm-hmm. with what I've, I've seen with the visitor center. I also got very involved early on with drug prevention, okay. protecting young people in the community from drugs. And I, I started the Alpine Substance Abuse Prevention Council, and there was a lot of activity in, in Washington in drug prevention. Bill Bennett was the first Secretary of Education. I got involved in uh, the National Federation of Parents for Drug for Youth, and Nancy Reagan helped kick that off. So the materials coming out of the Department of Education were excellent, and I brought them to the superintendents of school here. Doug Brown and then later Richard Souter got involved with teachers and volunteers like Beverly Mead and others in drug prevention education in the schools. We organized the Red Ribbon Drug Prevention Campaign. Oh, and that's still going. Yeah, and we also organized Project Graduation so our seniors and juniors could have great activities during, during graduation. And then I went on to do prevention work at the state, national, and international level. I served on the Governor's Task Force on Drugs and was the chairman of Texans War on Drugs. I did do a lot of state, national, and international events in a period in there. And I still am working in that field. I work with parents, many parents, who have all over the country who lost sons and daughters to marijuana-related psychosis, suicide, and accidents. And so I'm still very involved with a national organization and with these parents. Recently, I'm a member of the Citizens for a Safe and Healthy Texas, which is aimed at educating Texans about the harms of drug use. This citizen group, just this past spring, was very successful 
and blocking all the marijuana bills in 2023 during this legislative session. Oh, wow. So, yeah, so I'm still very, very involved in that issue. I also did work after Katrina in the city of New Orleans, which, as we know, was such a disaster, and did a lot of rebuilding work and restoration work. And I also started a, a, a coalition, a drug prevention coalition, which I still chair. That's incredible. The amount of energy you have is amazing. Doing a lot of wonderful work. Thank you. Well, thank you. Thank you. All right, and then, Jeff, we talked a little bit about BBT's past. They're still around, and they're one of the largest private employers, one of the few family-owned and operated telephone companies. Can you tell us a little bit more? Sure. Most of the history of of Bigman Telephone Company revolves around technology changes which when we we started, we described the first service we were providing. Then we went to, we got an REA loan, 1963, somewhere in there, and we were able to build out our first service to Heath Canyon, which is south of Marathon and goes all the way to the border, and then Calamity Creek and all the little rural exchanges that we had. But all the service was open wire, it's called. It was most, for the most part, we underbuilt underneath REA electric lines so that you'd have the power lines on top our service would be underneath it and so that was almost all of those were party lines four party lines so you know pretty primitive stuff later the technology allowed us to provide radio service to those same customers that was direct radio service into the network and so that was a big improvement my father in the early 70s put in the one of the early one of the first two gigahertz microwave systems what we were able to do then all the long distance calls we'll say from presidio came through open wire lines draped all the way from alpine to presidio the maintenance on that was enormous and the the quality of the uh, signal was poor and so the microwave system that he put in, and you'll still see remnants of it around town, like on Twin Peaks, and okay. you'll see a big passive reflector. That made a big difference. Those, those kind of technology changes made a big difference, and then basically turned everything over to Rusty Moore, who is doing a fabulous job with the phone company. Yes. The technology stuff that they're doing now with the Internet and the fiber, they've run fiber everywhere. Yes. And it's really a very successful operation, and it has remained to be so, especially now that Rusty's taking care of things. I'm very impressed. My son and daughter-in-law still live in the Houston area, Mm. and you would think they would have the best of everything out in the Houston area. They came out here and he said, Mom, I can't believe that your internet is better than what I have. <laughs> he said, how is that even possible? I said, well, it's BBT and fiber. <laughs> uh, that's exactly right. So what, what would Neville think of all the technology be, changes? Oh, he was very into technology changes. But of course, in the 50s and 60s and 70s, it was moving very slowly. But in the 80s, 90s, and, and, and on, the, the technology changes were almost too, fa- too hard to keep up with, which, as you know, you know, you have to get a new iPhone every two years. You right. <laughs> yeah, you do, <laughs> unfortunately. Right. Yeah, that's true. That's true. And it seems like I've read something about a, a museum. There was- that's true. My father, he loved history. He bought a, a collection from the director of the uh, Texas Telephone Association who was retiring, mainly lots of different telephones and switchboards and 
insulators and all kinds of things that he'd collected over the years. When uh, he bought that, part of the t- telephone company, which extends westward from the main building, it forms it to a U, he put in the museum. And it was really, really kind of neat because it was just a lot of stuff that, uh, that they... Uh, a lot of people, you know, that collect that kind of stuff would come by, and we had quite a nice traffic in there. After he passed away, Southwestern Bell was building a new building, and they wanted to, they were going to put a museum in there. And so we donated that collection to Southwestern Bell and to the Texas Pioneers Association, and they they used almost all of it in their museum. And it was there for, for a long time, and I don't know what happened to it after that, but it's it's been closed down for some reason they probably needed the office space probably (laughs) (laughs) probably so what is your favorite thing about living in alpine what are some of the activities and festivities that you guys look forward to that happen here well i'll I'll, the thing i like about alpine many things we have a lot of wonderful friends here nice to be two-minute drive from seeing them right (laughs) yeah that's nice uh i love I have to say, I love the climate. I love the the smell of the after a rain. The air is so fresh and beautiful. I don't especially like March when the wind and the dust blows. Right. But the rest of the year, I love. Even when it's 100 degrees, I don't think it's uncomfortable. I love the convenience of living here. Thank goodness we have shopping opportunities we still have. And I love the pace of life here. It's especially wonderful when you're 75 years old right right (laughs) so are you still golfing i do Uh it's i told martin earlier i said uh, my golfing is a downward spiral (laughs) (laughs) right but i still love it well good (laughs) yeah Yeah, you have to do what you love and stephanie well i i love the events like the art walk and cowboy poetry i love the fact the rodeo is here also the museum i look forward to the new opening of of the museum next week it's very exciting i think what the downtown association has done what the alpine visitor center has done it's really excellent you know and including um, encouraging more and more tourism the festivals we've had here festivals in the park and love love living here well good good so where do you guys see alpine five ten fifteen twenty years down the road address that first I, th- I hope you know Alpine doesn't have peaks and valleys. It's either a slow incline or a slow decline, and then more. It's it's a very stable area. In all honesty, the future of Alpine rests solely on two things: advancing tourism and the strength and health of Saw State University. And that, to me, is the key to Alpine's future. And I think that innovative things need to be done to make that university st- stable and growing. One of the things that I've been visiting with other local people about is that the, they, they can institute a technology wing, a two-year technical training thing where, where they train. And I tried to get this done when I was president of the school board. I wanted to have a partnership with Saros Industrial Arts and other. Let's, let's have... Let's train people to be carpenters and electricians and plumbers and uh, legal secretaries and all the craft that's not a four-year school, but it is needed in 
so desperately in a lot of this area. And I'd like to see that bloom into a reality. So that's, I think, so. I th- if Saw Ross remains strong, Alpine will remain successful. If it doesn't, Alpine will not. And Stephanie, where do you see Alpine in the future? Well, I, I really agree with what Jeff said, and I think the Downtown Association and the Visitor Center are doing the right things to enhance tourism and bring more tourism in here and having, you know, the different events. I think that that's, that's you know, the way to go, that I applaud them. And then I think, as Jeff was saying, continuing education, technical education at Sol Ross would be a, a wonderful thing. We had Vic Morgan and Mary Jane Morgan who were here, and they were so outgoing and so involved in the community. They, they really are models. I look forward to meeting the new president and his wife. I haven't had an opportunity to meet them, but I hear they are very community-oriented as well. And that is so good and so healthy for, for both the Saros and the community. Right, right. I think Dr. Carlos Hernandez and his wife are very good for the community. I've been fortunate enough that I've had the opportunity to meet them. And I look forward to you getting to meet them also. Mm-hmm. So one last question. Who do you think would be a good guest to invite on the show and why? Well, unfortunately, a lot of the people that I, that I would love to sit down and visit with, and I'm talking about the World War II generation people that have really were the core of this town when I was growing up, are no longer with us. But there's a few, and one of the ones I thought it would be really interesting to talk to, two people actually. One is Tio Mancha. Tio is elderly, and but he still plays golf twice a week. Uh, he's He could have some fascinating stories to tell you about. He, when Kasner's, you, you don't even know what Kasner's was, but it, it was a car dealership downtown. They, they were one of the five car dealerships in the nation that sold everything that General Motors made, Cadillac, Buick, everything. And he, he worked there for decades, and I'm sure he would have some very interesting stories to tell you. And if you want to you know, delve into the more current history in uh, at Saul Ross, I'd have uh, Roy Dotson come talk to you. Because he's been up, there. he's in his 90s, but he's been he was up there for decades, and he would have some interesting stories to tell you too. Okay. Those are the good, those are the two guys I'd have. Okay. Yeah. And Stephanie? Oh, I would have to agree okay. with those good those two good choices. Okay. The other one is um, if she would come is um, you just talked to her on the phone about all the stuff. Jeanette Bowers. Oh well, yeah, Jeanette would be terrific. You She's may have still to do that. Over yeah. the phone. Yeah, she <laughs> okay. she is very active. She still you is very to, active. What she's doing now, but she, she was a pilot club. She was the state uh, head of pilot club uh, uh, and national. I mean, she was really active. She yeah. was an inspiration, and she did a lot of fun stuff here in Alpine. And she's writing a book now. I just talked to her this week. She's 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 writing a book. She's still engaging a lot of people. She's celebrating her 90th birthday, I think, in um, November. Oh, okay. And, but, you know, people remember Jeanette, and with today's technology, you could probably do it, you know, and in a, interview her. She would be outstanding. Yeah, and there, and there are people that, Jeff says, would have been fabulous, but they, 
but they passed on. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Wish you'd have gotten here. 10 years earlier right <laughs> right well i'm glad we had you guys on you i find you fascinating and thank you both for coming in and sharing your stories with us today it has it has been an honor well, well, thank you thank you for thank this you. opportunity we're honored we, to be here we well, look forward to hearing to other people from alpine and tell their story good so thank you, our listeners, for tuning in to Small Town Big Stories. Small Town Big Stories has been brought to you by BBT, a local company you can count on. If there is a local resident of the Big Bend area that you would like for us to interview, drop me an email at caves2017 at gmail.com. Over the next several months, we look forward to sharing the stories of our neighbors firsthand while getting to know them just a little bit better. Thanks again for listening, and we will be back in two weeks.